Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. So church, as uh, I'm excited about that trip, uh, one of my roles uh, here at the church is the missions pastor and uh, just an opportunity for us to, uh, to for the, the American dollars who go, they go so far missionally, um, internationally to make a, a, a generational impact um, in Africa and in that community. And so uh, if you're interested in going on that trip, come, come find me, come talk to me, uh, or I think there's some people in the parlor after, after service, which is right off the sanctuary, um, to, to chat about that trip. Uh, so as we, uh, as we enter into Holy Week this week, uh, we're excited to kind of walk this journey uh, because it is a, a journey of transformation. Oh, I forgot it. I had two weeks in a row, two weeks in a row, I nailed it. Uh, but if, you have, if you're a kiddo, uh, K through second grade, um, you can head back to the back. I think a lot of them are already there. That's why I forgot it because a lot of them are, were already in the... In the um, in the sanctuary, waving palms. Uh, so if you're at K through second, you can head back to Children's Church. Uh, you can meet back there in the back. So we all enter into Holy Week uh, in different places. Holy Week is, um, is a, a transformational journey from, uh, from where we are, no matter where we are, from where we are to the cross. I mean, we see in the disciples, um, Judas was in a very different place going into Holy Week than Peter was. Then James, or then, then John. Each of the disciples were in a different place, and, it, and the, that Holy Week really defined who they were. Peter denies Christ. Judas gives Christ up. The other disciples, they scatter. Holy Week tests our heart. And so as we, re, as we dive into the, to our sermon series, uh, questions on the journey to the cross, the question that Jesus asks us this week is, who do you say that I am? As we enter into Holy Week, who is Jesus to you? As I've, uh, as I've been processing this, um, this week, I'm entering into, uh, into Holy Week um, running on fumes. Um, as some, some of you might, might experience that and might feel that, um, I'm running into Holy Week on fumes. We've been, uh, we've been moving this last week. Uh, so out of our house in Mills Branch and into our house in Kings River. Uh, and the moving process is brutal. Uh, for any of you, any, how many of you guys have ever moved from, from one house to another? This is our first move from one house to another. We had like a little apartment type of thing. And we moved from that little apartment into that. And we're like, oh my gosh, we have so much space. We need to buy more things. And we just kept that same mindset for the last 10 years, Right? And it became just overwhelmingly um, difficult to move out, right? Um, 
And so this week has just been chaos. It's been uh, trying to get the water turned on and electricity over and all of the things. We slept the last two nights in our new house surrounded by mountains and mountains of boxes, right? Uh, And so I feel a little bit disheveled because the clothes that I'm wearing were the clothes that I wore earlier in the week because I couldn't find other clothes, right? Um, I'm I'm, I'm not shaven very well because I couldn't find my razor, right? Right? and, uh, and this morning, I couldn't find my keys, uh, which, is a very, which is a significant problem when, you're, when your family is going three different ways and you only have three cars on a Sunday morning. Uh, all of those cars are, are a necessity, and so I couldn't find my keys. And so usually I like to come in early and spend some time just in prayer, like kind of getting ready, getting in the right headspace, asking the Holy Spirit kind of, are there things that, that I haven't prepared for that you want to insert into this, this message that you have for us this morning? And um, usually I, I, I get here at the church at like 630, 6.30, um, but for 45 minutes this morning, I, I scoured the house looking for my keys and I couldn't find them anywhere. And it was, uh, it was, it was the worst. Um, and so I ended up having to wake up my family, like wake up my wife, uh, which is not a good idea. Um, wake up my wife and say, where, do you know where my keys are? Because she always knows those things, right? Um, and, uh, and she was like, you put them over here last night. I don't know why they were there, but they were here. And so I went over to look, look for them, not there, right? And so I was like, May, the only place I can think is that they're at our friend's house who live across the street from our new house. And we went there last night because they had a, a meal for us. And, um, and uh, so she went over to their house at seven in the morning um, to look for the keys on the countertop. Um, we had, she has like the code to their garage and they were still there and it set off the alarm <laughs> in their house. So the alarm is blaring in their house. My wife is sneaking in and can't find the keys anywhere. So she's like, just take my car. We'll, f- we'll look, we'll find the keys, but you gotta go. I was like, yes, I gotta go. I'm gonna look one more place. And I went back to the, to the bathroom to look for the keys I don't know why they would be in the bathroom, but I looked for the keys, and there on the counter, they weren't. And so I went to walk, and I put my hand in my back pocket, and there in my back pocket the entire time were my keys. And so, um, so that was a hard one to admit on the way out. I found them, and I was tempted to be like, oh, they were just in the bag, you know? But I, uh, I knew that I was probably going to end up using that story uh, this morning, so I couldn't lie about it. Um, so that's where my mind is coming into Holy Week. And I think I relate a little bit to where the disciples are. Um, they're entering into this week where Jesus has said that he's going to die. And they're like at kind of uh, disbelief. And, um, and I think their, their minds are just kind of on autopilot going into this week. They know that this week is going to be big. It's a big week in the Jewish faith anyways. But they're coming in with the Messiah who has really only touched base a couple times here and there throughout his ministry in Jerusalem because he knows that when he steps into Jerusalem, it's going to stir it all up because that's where the religious leaders are. And so we typically remember um, this service on this week as Palm Sunday, right? Uh, where, uh, where they're waving the palms saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, you know, as Jesus comes in on the colt, on the donkey. And then... Uh, so that's Sunday, and then on, by Friday, they're saying crucify him. This huge spin of events, this huge change, this shift in the religious leaders. Ooh, I'm going to light that on fire. <clears throat> this huge shift in the religious leaders this week. 
But I think, I think the narrative begins before that. Thanks, bro. I think the narrative begins before that story even, even happens. It begins a couple days before as the disciples are up in this place called Caesarea Philippi. Um, Jesus has, has been around Galilee and he travels about 20 miles north out of Galilee. Jerusalem is south of Galilee. He travels about, tw- about 20 miles north, which is a long ways to walk. Uh, travels about 20 miles north with his disciples uh, to this place called Caesarea Philippi. The only place, the only time in all of scripture this place Caesarea Philippi is mentioned is in this one conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. Why in the world would Jesus go out of his way when he's already going to, down to Jerusalem? Why would he go out of his way just to have this one conversation to this place called Caesarea Philippi? Oftentimes we just scan right past all the, the names and the, the places in scripture, but there's a reason why Matthew didn't, or he didn't just say this, this town in the north. He said Caesarea Philippi for a reason to give us some context. This is a picture of, of Caesarea Philippi. Um, this is a place that was known in the ancient world called the Gates of Hell. Uh, they called it the Gates of Hell uh, because it was so ominous, right? Um, I took this picture whenever uh, I was in the Holy Land and got to kind of process through um, this, this space, this place that on, Jesus only had one conversation with his disciples in. It was called the Gates of Hell um, and, it, and around it were temples uh, with pagan worship. And so this whole region was known for its, its idolatry and pagan worship. So Jesus comes to this place to have this one conversation with his disciples. And here it is. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13, if you have your Bibles or your phone Bibles, um, we're going to be diving in. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others still say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? I remember back in, in middle school or uh, high school or, or even college, you'd be like seeing a girl and you'd like be hanging out with her for a while and you kind of start to like each other. And then uh, eventually it like comes to this like awkward moment, this conversation that you have to have called the, the DTR, the define the relationship. When you start asking like, okay, so what is this, right? If we're gonna move forward, we gotta kind of figure out what is this thing here that we're doing. This is kind of a, a DTR moment for Jesus and the disciples. Who do you say that I am? What is our relationship like. And Simon Peter, uh, who's going to take kind of front and center stage in this, this kind of gospel narrative in Holy Week, he bursts out and answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. I can hear the, the eager enthusiasm in his voice. And Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you, that you are Peter, Petra, which means the rock. And on you, this rock, Petro, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. 
And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples to not tell anyone that he was the Messiah. He didn't want to speed things up. He knew that they had to take their course. And from that time, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that we must go to Jerusalem, south, through Galilee to Jerusalem, and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, must be killed, and on the third day raised to life. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And then Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come into, this, into the Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. My question for you today is which one are you? Are you the rock on which Christ will build his church or, or are you the stumbling stone? There's so much to unpack in this text and uh, we don't have time to really dive into every little piece and nuance of this text. In fact, in, the, in our Bible study uh, on Wednesday nights here at the church, uh, we've been walking through the book of Matthew and have really been diving into deep into these scriptures. Um, Adam, you've been there. And, uh, and we, we dove deep into this text because it, it has such profound impact for how we live out our lives. So Peter... In the course of five verses, seven verses, sorry, he goes from being praised by God and saying, you are the rock on which I will build my church. You're solid. To a place on the other side where in seven verses, Peter is rebuked, called Satan, and told to get behind him because he's a stumbling stone, a rock of stumbling how do we get there? How do we get from here to there in a matter of moments? Let's first look at what gets Peter praise. He says, who do you say that I am? It's a pronouncement of, of divinity, of, his, of God's divine identity. He's a, you are the Messiah, the, the anointed one, the one who saves. But who do you say that he is, church? Do you say that he's Lord? Do you say that he's Messiah? See, Peter knows all of the right answers. He knows who Jesus is. He knows he has declared that. It's been revealed to him, even Jesus says, not from, not from flesh and bone, but revealed to him by God that he is the Messiah. This is in contrast to what culture is saying about Jesus at the time. Jesus is saying, at the, uh, people are saying at the time that Jesus is just this, this good figure, this uh, this prophet of old that's calling the church forward 
It's calling the, the Jewish church, the Israelites, forward. Church, our culture today calls Jesus this historic figure. There's a generation raising up that believe that Jesus is just this, this fairy tale. That we tell our kids that there's no way that, that, that any human being, that there's no way any div, that there might not even be a divinity, let alone one that could, could walk on water and multiply bread into, into, into the multitudes so they could feed multitudes or, or cast out demons because demons don't even exist, right? There's this whole generation that doesn't process and understand that God is, that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one. Even theologically, uh, there are, there's a progressive movement that spans from some call, some of the progressive movement call him Messiah. Some of them in the movement call him the one who saves, but, but many in the progressive movement call him just a historical figure that was, that was good to teach us, that didn't die and resurrect, but, um, but they taught us great moral things. And at worst, there are people that call him a bigot. They call him something that, that doesn't even love right because he loves in a certain way. Islam calls him just an important, good and moral prophet or teacher. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that he is? In verse uh, 22 through 23, we see this, um, this juxtaposition in in Peter's uh, understanding of, of Jesus. We, in, in, uh, in the first verse, he calls him Messiah the Lord. He declares his identity in the second. We are, re- it reveals a little bit about what he knows about who, who Jesus is, what he thinks the Messiah might be. Jesus calls him the stumbling stone, the scandalon. And a scandalon um, in, in Jewish tradition is uh, this, this stone, this snare or trap that one would set for somebody else. And, uh, and so when a, a coming king would walk into a, a town, they wanted people to know who they were. When a king was going from where they are to the, their destination, they would cross these little towns and they would send a forerunner out in front of them. And the forerunner would go into the town and talk about the king's goodness and all the things that the king had done and all the, the greatness of this king. And, and, uh, and if, the, if the people uh, would go out then and then prepare a way for the king, and so they would take all the big stones, these big rocks that were in the roads, and they would take them out and throw them into the fields to prepare the way for all the king's horses and all the king's men to come into town. But if a farmer didn't like the king... If a farmer didn't support and didn't agree with the king, he would go out into that same field and he would dig up rocks and he would throw them into the road. A scandal on. To be a stumbling stone for the king, to prevent the king from getting to where he was meant to go. Church, are you the rock on which Christ calls us to build the church? Are you standing in the way of the cross for the world? Here's what I mean by that. It is vital for us to, to, to know and articulate who God is to us. But I think it's even more vital for us to, to know and articulate in our hearts what, what that means and to live that out in our lives. 
See, I think oftentimes we proclaim with our mouth that, that we're a Christian, we're going to church on Sunday, or we go to church all the time, and sometimes we only go to church once a, once a quarter, once a semester, right? We declare our praises to God, we raise our hands in this space, but it's so easy when we go out of this space to, to walk out and live out our lives in such a manner that, that there's no difference between the actions that we have and the actions of the, the rest of the world around us. C.S. Lewis calls this functional atheism. That we might proclaim with our mouth, but in, in practice, in the way that we actually live out our lives, there's no difference between us and, the, and, and those who don't even believe in a God. Who may have some kind of moral compass, might do some good things, but there's no difference. Functional atheism is when we suppress the goodness of God in our lives, the, the, the witness of God in our lives, so that we might be a little bit more uh, appealing to the world. So that we might be, our, so that the way that we live out our lives might be more palatable to the world around us, to our coworkers, to our families. Do, do we declare the same thing with our lives that we come here on Sunday morning and declare with our mouth? Do we believe that he is mighty enough to save? Do we believe that he's real enough to respond to us when we call out to him? Do we believe that he's worthy enough of our time and our attention to sacrifice Netflix and the things that we might do otherwise to spend time with him? Do we believe that he's big enough for our biggest problems? Do we believe that he's gracious enough to, to save us even from our sins? Do we believe that he's loving enough to pursue us into the darkest places? Do we believe that he's loving enough to pursue even the worst of the worst? Even us. You see, when we let Jesus be the Lord and the Messiah of our lives, like Peter declared initially. And Christ looks at us and says, I can work with that. I can build on that. You're not gonna be the one that builds the church on that, but I need you to have that faith in who I am. I need you to have that faith to say that I am Lord so that I can work with that, so I can build on that foundation. And I will build I will build my church on you because you've called me Lord of your life. You've called me Messiah. If we are able to follow where he leads, to begin that journey south to the cross with him, then he will take us places that we couldn't even begin to fathom or imagine. He will lead us and guide us to, to greener pastures, to still waters. He will lead us and guide us in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. He will lead us. He will guide us. He will be our shepherd. But if we aren't proclaiming the same thing with our actions and with our lives that we proclaim with our mouth, then we become a stumbling stone for the rest of the world because they look at us and they look at our lives and they look what we proclaim with our mouth and they say, what you, what you proclaim with your mouth doesn't line up with what you're doing here. And we cast a, a, a wrong image of what Jesus, who Jesus is and who the cross is and what the cross is. 
And we become a stumbling stone for people to enter into faith. Because I say, if that's faith, I don't want anything to do with it. I'm going to close with this, um, and the band can come forward. When uh, I like to, to run with my dog, um, sometimes. Um, sometimes. Uh, and my dog loves to run. Anytime you pull a leash out, she's like, woo, let's go, right? She's like jumping. She knows exactly what's happening, right? Um, this is my dog, Rosie. And Rosie is um, a terrible runner, uh, at least for the first like mile and a half, right? Um, because she has, a, she has uh, this uncanny desire to go wherever she wants in that run. She gets so excited that she smells all the things. She runs all the places. Um, she gets caught. She goes over here to the right of the path. Then she goes over here to the left of the path. And then she stays over here while I'm running. So I'm running past her. And then she decides she needs to go to the, to the thing over there on that side of the path. So she starts wrapping me up and I'm running and spinning. And it's the worst. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow an ACL, right? Because of this dog. You see, when, when we try to lead God, it doesn't work out right. When we try to go wherever we want to go and then say, God, uh, why don't you just figure it out? I saw the other day uh, a woman running on, on a green belt and it was like at uh, kind of a fork in the green belt and uh, uh, it was, she was a smaller woman and a pretty big dog and she had one of those belt things on, right? And the dog wanted to go right and she was trying to go left and it about, it about wiped her out. She was running this way and the dog took off this way and she like lost her feet and finally found it before she totally wiped out. Church, I think that's an image of oftentimes how we try to lead our relationship with God. We try to go wherever we want to go and say, God, fall in line. Church, what I want, I want us to focus on this Holy Week, wherever you are, because we all come into this space in a different place. Wherever you are, I want you to focus this week on allowing God to lead your week. Maybe that starts with, with tonight and you just go to bed and you say, God, um, I want you to wake me up whenever you wanna talk to me. I did this um, in, in college. I did this uh, and uh, God would wake me up at like 4 a.m. I never, I didn't set an alarm for the first like two years of college. And I just said, God, wake me up whenever you want. And he'd wake me up at crazy times. And I'd say, all right, I'm just gonna spend time with you. I never, it blows my mind, I never had a, a, a time when my alarm, when I, I was late for a class because I woke up too late. God always woke me up. Now don't, don't send me emails when you're late to work and, uh, and blame it on me, right? Uh, but, but I'd start by asking God, like, God, what do you wanna do with this time? God, where do you want to go? Where are you leading and guiding? God, who do, you want, who do you want me to talk to? As we engage in that conversation day after day, time after time, we begin to allow the Lord to lead us. We begin to allow God to take the first step and then we positionally get behind me so that we can go to the cross together. And I will lead you there. Church, who do you say that God is? Who do you say 
that I am. Because we are either the rock in which Christ will build his church or we are a stumbling block that's getting in the way of people seeing the real God. Church, I think the question that Jesus is asking is he's calling us into a deeper understanding and a deeper relationship of what it means for him to be our Lord. Where do you stand today? Let's pray. God, I know that you meet us in this space. I know that you call us into deeper relationship. God, I, I confess, I confess along with this group that there's been so many times where I have tried to, to do my own thing and, and been a stumbling block where I've, I've fallen into sin and people look at me as a Christian and they say, surely that guy's not a pastor, right? And so God, I confess those moments, those moments where I've been a stumbling stone, where I've been a scandal on thrown into your path. God, help me to get behind you so that you can lead forward, so you can lead me to the places that, I, that you're calling me to go. God, I know, as we sang earlier, I have decided to follow Jesus. Mm. God, I know that that's a hard thing to say. Because it means giving up our own way. <laughs> Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. God, that means sacrifice. So God, I know that there's people in this space, God, that, that have, have been battling with this question. God, I pray that today you would, you would continue that journey. I pray that today there would be people who decide to say, I, I wanna follow you. I've been in your way. But I want to step in line and see where you lead me. I've been wandering left and right of the path. But God, I know that where you're taking me is good. God, I pray that, those, that there are those in this room that would make a decision to follow Christ today. God, we give you these things. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.